It's good to be with you all today. This is week three of the series we're doing churchwide on the narrative of the scripture and as it ties to the book of Matthew and other various related New Testament texts. Uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor in the garden. And today uh, we're going to be looking at Joseph. And I've titled this message, Most Likely to Succeed. A look at how God's covenant produces blessing in spite of hardship. And today's story is going to be focusing, there's going to be a lot of tie back to last week. If you remember last week, we talked about Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham and how it's really the same covenant that God makes with us in the Great Commission. <clears throat> to be with us, to know that we're going to bless all nations and all those things. And I tried to make sure that you understood that that covenant with Abraham <clears throat> applies directly to us. The scripture even teaches we are currently, right now as we speak, being blessed because of the gift of faith that God gave Abraham and gave us, which God created in us beforehand to create good works that we should stumble into. That's a key concept to understand as we go forward today. We're going to be looking at Joseph. And the story that we're looking at is in Genesis 39. And I'm going to read 13 to 23 in a little bit. But just to give you a little background on who Joseph was, Joseph is actually the great-grandson of Abraham. He's the grandson of Isaac, Abraham's son. He's the son of Jacob, who was, in fact, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you can see Joseph's a pretty important, pivotal figure. Did you also know that Joseph is one of the most historically confirmed figures in the Old Testament as far as extra-biblical sources go? There's a ton of historical evidence to prove the existence of Joseph. Joseph is a very key link in the genealogy to the line of David and to the line of Jesus, which all comes from, by the way, the line of Seth. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, there was Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel, and God said he appointed another seed instead of Abel named Seth. So these are all men from that godly line of Seth. We talked about the first week about Noah. I joked around how at one point there were only eight Presbyterians left in the world and everybody else had to be killed. So we talked about that. These people are directly related to Noah. He's only three generations removed from the covenant with Abraham. Just three. And because of that, the enemy targets Joseph most of his life with various things. If you remember in our study of the life of David, I tried to explain to you how the whole story of David's life is the enemy trying to destroy him, the enemy trying to kill him, because the enemy knows that David is the key. If he can snuff out David, he snuffs out the line of Jesus. The same is true here with Joseph. There are a lot of things that happen. The enemy targets him. He, most of his life, he has various trials and different things like being sold into slavery by his half-brothers, false accusations, etc. Which brings us to our story in Genesis 39. Now Joseph is blessed by God in many ways. He's very well-liked. He's a very successful man. In many respects, he is what you would call the salt of the earth. He is a beacon of light or a light of the world. His Egyptian master sees all this, sees that the hand of God is on Joseph's life, and Joseph earns his trust, so much so that this Egyptian master leaves his whole house, his whole wealth, his whole family in charge to Joseph. 
while he goes on a journey. This is Potiphar's the guy's name. Also something to recognize in 30, uh, chapter 39 of Genesis, basically the book of Genesis tells us that Joseph is very hot, ladies. Scripture says he was very good looking, very hot. And because of this, he's smart, he's intelligent, he's hot. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Over and over again, she says, come lie with me, come be with me. And Joseph says, how can I do that to my master when he's gone? You must be nuts. <clears throat> over and over again. So much so at one point, she's so frustrated, she grabs him and pulls him quickly into the room. And he escapes so fast that she still had hold of his coat, and he runs away, half-clothed. She feels so scorned by this good-looking Jew that won't commit adultery with her that she hatches a scheme and says, I'm going to get him. I'm not pretty enough for you. I'm not good enough for you. I'm going to accuse you of rape. And we pick up the story in Genesis 39, verse 13. And as soon as he saw that, he had left his garment in her hand and he fled out of the house. And so she called the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought a, her husband, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled to go out the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until, her master, until his master came home. And she told her husband the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to live in our house came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken, she says, is this the way your servant treated me? Potiphar's anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That means it's a very bad prison. And he was there in prison... But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast, unwavering love and gave him favor in the sight of all the prisoners who were in the prison and, whatever he would, uh, and, and also in the keeper of the prison, so much so that the keeper of the prison puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. There is this Jew who was accused of rape and somehow, all of a sudden, he's in charge of the whole prison. And whatever is done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that he put Joseph in charge of. Because the Lord was with him. And the last part of the chapter says, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Pretty amazing story. So what is the application for us? Read this passage with me. Matthew chapter 5, 11 through 16. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is Jesus talking. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he follows that up. In context, you are the salt of the earth. But as if, if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or a, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, this concept in Matthew chapter 5 and this story with Joseph has great similarity to the Great Commission and the covenant with Abraham. As a matter of fact, I submit to you that the story of Joseph is an example of God keeping his promise to Abraham. I will be with you, your seed will be blessed, and your seed will bless all nations. Now remember what Peter and Paul taught us, that the seed of Abraham is not just those who are born of the flesh, but born of what? The Spirit. So don't confuse the fact that just because Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson, that's why he got the blessing. Wrong. He got the blessing because he was a man of faith. He happened to also be related to Abraham, but that's not the reason he was blessed. He was blessed because he was of that godly line that we talked about. So let's look at some ways that this story and this passage that we just read in Matthew is very much like the Great Commission. First of all, God never left him. Joseph was unjustly put in prison, but the presence of God never left him. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, the presence of God never left him. How was that like the Great Commission? With you always, even to the end of the age. Right? Just like the promise to Abraham and the promise to us, the Great Commission. The second thing, God's sovereign power. God's sovereign presence in Joseph's life was too much for even the most powerful empire, empire in the world at the time to overcome. How's that like the Great Commission? Boom. All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Even the Egyptian empire could not overcome the plan that God had for Joseph. And Joseph becomes second in command in Egypt. He continued to work his way up the ladder, and at some point later in the story, you would find out that Pharaoh had favor on Joseph, and he puts Joseph... No, he's vice Pharaoh. <laughs> he becomes second command in Egypt. Think about that. This relative of Abraham, this Jew, is number two in the most powerful empire in the world, newsflash, he's not an Egyptian. See how Joseph, even in the midst of persecution, was being fulfilled and through the covenant, he was blessing all nations. His leadership was crucial during the worst time in Egyptian empire history, during a drought that was terrible. Going to all nations, here he is a Jew, part of God's church. And his ability and his intelligence and his skill set and his integrity and all those things are crucial to Egypt during a very difficult time. He's the salt of the earth. He's the light of the world. In this respect, he's kind of like Jesus, a picture, if you will. And so you can begin to see the similarities between this passage and what Jesus taught in the Great Commission. That we looked at last week, right? 
I mean, the impacting of all the world and all that stuff. But the key to this story, guys, gets lost in all the shuffle. It gets lost in the dramatic details of sold into slavery, then accused of rape, and then being in prison, and then being in charge of the prison, and then moving up the ladder, and now being vice pharaoh. There's a lot of things there. And what really happens is the real key to the story gets lost in the shuffle. That's the key to the story. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And we can see this concept in the New Testament as well for us, who are, by the way, empowered by the same covenant that God gave Abraham, the same covenant that God was using as a reason to bless Joseph in the midst of trial. We see it in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We can see it in another one. In 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Aren't those great passages? Can you see how they tie to the story of Joseph? And these passages are made powerful by what? The covenant with Abraham. The covenant with us in the Great Commission. These things have weight because God said they would, and it was unconditional. Abraham didn't earn it. Joseph didn't earn it. We don't earn it. This blessing of the covenant, this overcoming the world, all that stuff, is possible only for one reason. The work of Christ on the cross and the gift of faith that we very clearly defined for you again last week in Ephesians 2, 8 through 11. Joseph doesn't get the credit, but the hand of God that is fulfilling, and we talked about the present indicative last week, is fulfilling currently as we speak. God didn't just promise and then fulfill and stop. He is right now as I preach, fulfilling the covenant with Abraham, fulfilling the Great Commission. He fulfilled it for Joseph. He's fulfilling it for us. These stories are not just historical they are directly relative to who we are, guys, as Christians, as children of the inheritance. What inheritance do you think he means when he says that in the New Testament? You know, there's other examples of this, right? Job. You know, the people always think the story about Job was, oh man, Job was a real man. Job really persevered. Wrong. Job failed throughout the whole story. God kept him. Job persevered because of God. We see it again in David. Was David sinless? Oh no. We catalog that, right? I mean, David was like, uh, what was that guy on Dallas, the one that always everybody hated? Yeah, he's like J.R. <laughs> Without the 10-gallon hat. What about the church under Nero? I mean, a lot of what happened to the church, which is, which is recorded in the book of Revelation, a lot of people think that's stuff to come, but in reality, most of it is historical. It has already happened. It was prophesied, but already happened. About the, the persecution of the church, the shedding of the blood of martyrs. 
the church still succeeded. The church still thrived. What about the church under Stalin? Chairman Mao. What about the church under ISIS in Iraq? We win. Guarantee you. I promise you. Not Egypt, not Mao, not Stalin, not ISIS. Nothing will derail the church. Nothing could derail Joseph. Nothing could derail David. Nothing will derail us. In Reformed Covenant theology, we have a name for that. We call it perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints doesn't just mean, well, when God saves you, you will continue to be saved. That's part of it, but that's a small part of it. Perseverance of the saints means when God saves you, you will continue to be saved, and you will thrive, and you'll be salt, and you will be light, and you'll impact all nations. You'll go all in the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Perseverance of the saints is not just about your salvation. It's about your sanctification. It's about your calling. It's about the job you have to do. It's about the impact that you are having and that you are going to have. Perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. No matter if it's Nero, no matter if it's Egypt, no matter if it's your evil brothers, no matter if it's a flood, no matter if it's Nero, nothing. It doesn't matter. There might be pain. There might be suffering. There might be hardship. But we will continue to be salt and light to the world. We will continue to fulfill our commission. And we will impact all nations, even in the midst of our own sin. That's how amazing this covenant, this unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham and continued to bless all of his church with is so amazing. It overcomes our sin. It overcomes the world's wickedness. It just keeps winning. It just keeps scoring like the Falcons last Thursday night. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a way to see how the bucks are the church. It just doesn't seem to work out. When we experience the weight of the world arrayed against us, just as it was with Joseph, it can be quite daunting. But we can be encouraged to know that it won't derail God's covenant with Abraham. It couldn't derail God's covenant with Joseph, with David, with the early church under Nero. It won't derail us. We will be salt. We will be light. We will have great impact. I'm going to read this to you. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is currently right now as we speak interceding for us. Present indicative, interceding, fulfilling the covenant for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Nope. Shall distress? No. Shall persecution? Uh-uh. Or famine? Didn't happen in Egypt under Joseph's watch. Nakedness? Danger from a sword? As it is written, for, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor demons, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, or powers, or height, or depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, my friends, is the certainty of the covenant that God made with Abraham, that God kept with Joseph, that he is keeping right now as we speak with us through the Great Commission. If God can keep Joseph, he can certainly keep you, no matter who or what is against you. Because if you are in Christ, you are a child of the covenant, you are a child of perseverance.